Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Uh, hello online. Hope you're doing well. We miss you, and uh, thanks so much for joining us. We hope to see you uh, soon. Uh, this week is week five of our, you can see there on the screens, our belonging uh, what it means to be a member at VCDC. And I don't know if uh, the first weekend, I remember saying something along the lines of, in this series, we're going to go from more general, uh, move from general to more specific, meaning, you know, we're going to start talking about what it means to be part of the church, more like the global church, big picture, and then moving towards, well, okay, well, what does it mean, though, to be part of this church, to be part of uh, VCDC? And the first weekend, we we started off uh, by introducing an anchor scripture passage and a quote. So let's read that together. Nice and loud out, out loud. Here we go. Romans 12, 4, 5 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And then the quote, let's read that together. Church is not something we go to, but something we belong to. So just as a quick review in this series, uh, we started off by defining church. And we looked at the biblical definition and where it talks about the church is one body with many parts with who is the head? It's always the right answer in church. Uh, but Jesus is the head. And then the next weekend, Andrew looked at uh, the unified church and all these different parts uh, are connected, are held together in and, and by Jesus then we talked about being a functioning church where every part, all, all of us, every part totally necessary, every part uh, has a purpose in the body. And then last weekend, uh, Heather did a great job just talking about more, again, moving more specific to uh, being a spirit-led church where, uh, you know, uh, that we increasingly, each part of the body would be more uh, sensitive to and responsive, responsive to the presence of and activity of the Holy Spirit. So before I get to uh, my topic uh, for this weekend, let me, let me just say this. What, you know, I've been thinking about this for a while. Uh, so much of what we're talking about in the Belonging series is really we're talking about church culture. And what I mean by that is, you know, uh, basically culture is like all this stuff that we're talking about, well, in this series, in any series, anytime we're gathering, like uh, it has to become more than just talk and words. Right? The goal is that we would, we would put these, the different things we're learning into action, that it would really more and more become who we are as a church, church uh, culture. And in order for that to happen, there needs to be uh, a clear understanding of all, the, all that we are saying, etc. cetera. So um, at any point, uh, I know some of you have been in church for years. Some of you are newer to church. At any point, if anything is ever said from the front, anything is ever taught, and, and you hear it, and inside you go, you know what? I think I know what that means, but if, I was honest, if I'm honest with myself, I don't really know what that means. Would you please ask a question about it? Uh, I love when people ask me questions about our, you know, who we are as a church, about the Bible, theology, all these different things. I really believe that a healthy church family, a healthy church culture is one where you can ask any question. So I'm, uh, whether you're online or in the room, uh, I would love it. Uh, feel free to ask any questions. If they're math questions, I would go to Andrew um, for that. Okay. <laughs> and that really brought the house down if you're on camera right now. 
So this weekend, uh, I want to talk about being a kingdom church. Kingdom church. I know when you hear the word kingdom, for some of you, I'm sure your mind goes uh, different places. But when you look at the teachings of Jesus, uh, over and over, when you look at what he's saying and what he says, etc., you see a, a phrase repeated many times, and that is the kingdom of God. Or it might also be the kingdom of heaven, and that's primarily in the book of Matthew. But, but usually he uses the phrase, the kingdom of God. And <clears throat> this phrase permeates, uh, you know, really everything that, that Jesus, that everything that Jesus did, he, he actually kicks off his earthly ministry life by saying this, Matthew 1.14, it says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. He kicks off his earthly ministry by saying that, and then he wraps it all up uh, uh, just before he goes back to heaven. In Acts 1-3, it says this, after his suffering, after the cross, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He really came back to life. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about what? The kingdom of God. So from day one until the final day of his ministry on earth and pretty much, you know, every day in between, uh, Jesus declared, you know, proclaimed, declared and demonstrated that with his arrival, the kingdom of God was here. And this is something that we really need to, you know, focus on, really need to pay attention to. This is key because if it was, if it was so important, if the kingdom of God was so important to Jesus while he walked this earth, well, then it really needs to be important to us too. Because again, what have we been learning? We are his body, right? We're his body here on earth and we're meant to function. We're meant to be an active uh, body. And we learned last week that we're empowered and we're led by the Holy Spirit to do what? Well, really it's to, to continue the work that Jesus did. And that would be, again, declaring and demonstrating the reality of the kingdom of God among us now. So uh, here's where I'm going today. Uh, let me ask this question. What does it mean to be a member of VCDC? Uh, what it means is to be a church, a gathering of Jesus followers who are increasingly more aware of and more engaged with the kingdom of God. So let's pray. And then uh, we'll jump in, talk more about that. <clears throat> so Lord, I thank you. Uh, I thank you for your presence here. I thank you that you are not a distant God, but that you're a God who loves to come close. And I pray this evening, this weekend, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in this place, that you would, Lord, uh, I pray that you'd give us our daily bread. Come feed us. Lord, we just, we welcome you here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I've got three points tonight. And the first point is the question, well, okay, we want to be a kingdom church. Uh, first question or first point is, what is the kingdom of God? That's probably a good, place, a good place to start. And to answer that, let me start by saying this. Uh, it jumped out at me this last week that because Jesus, the passage I read in Mark, when, when he started his earthly ministry, notice that what he said was, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Now, I thought, well, wait a minute, that's, that's, that's telling us something. And what I mean is, well, that means then that, hey, there must be other kingdoms at play, right? Because couldn't he have just shown up and said, hey, the kingdom is here. 
right? He could have said that, but he specifically says the kingdom of God has come near. And so what I want to do is I'm going to quickly, really quickly move through a a portion of the Bible story to try to explain like where I'm going with this and, and in defining the kingdom of God, all right? So long before anything else existed, pre-Genesis, uh, there was the kingdom of God, right? There was God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit. You know, they, they were forever existing or pre-existing, however you want to put that, but they were forever, right? They're in, in perfect unity and in perfect community. And, and in that place, you know, God being a loving God, God being a relational God said, you know what? Why don't we, you know, why don't we create some humans and invite them into this? Beautiful relationship that we have. And so what you see is in Genesis 1 and 2, it's creation. Uh, the heavens and the earth, they're making, you know, all the animals. I don't know if they did doodles in those days. I don't know if there are any doodles. And again, the house has come down with laughter. But, so, but they're creating all this stuff in Genesis 1 and 2. And of course, uh, God creates Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, humanity, are invited into really the kingdom of God. They're invited into this beautiful relationship. And for a while, it's, it's like the most beautiful place you could ever imagine. And there's Adam and Eve uh, willfully and joyfully living under the rule and reign of God in the, in the kingdom of God. But then Genesis 3, dun, dun, dun. Genesis 3, the, really the kingdom of the enemy breaks into this beautiful world right? Or the kingdom of Satan, whatever you want to call that. And, and you know, and I, I think I always say this when I tell this story, and I think I always will, but I look at that and I go, I don't know why God allowed that to happen. Makes no sense to me. It would have been so much easier if he didn't let it happen, but he did. And so with the coming of the kingdom of the enemy, uh, that was not good news, right? It was bad news. It was really bad news. With, with the kingdom of the enemy came evil of all, of all sorts. You had, we had war and violence and murder and incest and jealousy and addictions and on and on and on. And where there originally was one kingdom, suddenly there are three and really more than three, but I'll, let me explain this. So you, you know, you have the kingdom of God, you have the kingdom of the enemy, and then really you have the kingdom of every person. We all have our own little kingdom that we live in. And, and what you've got is you've got these kingdoms are at war with each other. And primarily, you've got the kingdom of God is at war with the kingdom of the enemy. And notice how I put it like this, because they're not peers. They are not on the same level, but God, he allows, right? He allows this kingdom to exist, and they're at war. And what do you think they're fighting over? They're fighting over us. They're fighting over humanity. And so all throughout the Old Testament, you know, we're moving fast. But throughout the Old Testament, God raises up these, you know, different people like, uh, like Abraham and Moses and uh, David, Jeremiah. He raises up these people as his representatives, representatives of the kingdom of God. And they're sent to remind the people, hey, remember God's kingdom. And they're sent to, you know, to invite and to rescue these people from their own kingdoms and from the kingdom of the enemy. But if you're familiar with the Bible story, you know that all these representatives failed to do that, right? And they failed, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but primarily because they were weak, flawed humans. And the people that they were sent to were weak and flawed humans. And then God goes, you know what? Here's what we're gonna do, right? Christmas, he sends his son, Jesus, to earth. And Jesus has no flaws, 
Jesus is perfect. Jesus has no weakness in him. And Jesus comes to earth to invite and to rescue humanity from their own little kingdoms, from the kingdom of the enemy. And really, he's come to restore us. He's come to restore humanity, to to come back to living in his kingdom willfully and joyfully under his rule and his reign. And so Jesus shows up on earth. And let me read again from Mark 1. He shows up and it says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. And unlike when the kingdom of the enemy showed up, which was really bad news, when Jesus showed up, when the kingdom of God broke into this world, it was really good news. Jesus went around everywhere he went. He was declaring the kingdom of God, and then he would declare it, and then he would demonstrate it. And there's just so many amazing stories where everywhere he went, he's, he's healing people, the lame, you know, the deaf, the mute, the blind. He's, he's casting demons out of people. He's setting people free. People who have been imprisoned, you know, for, for their entire lives are set free. He's raising people from the dead. He's multiplying food. He's walking on water uh, and it wasn't frozen. He was walking on water. He's doing all these miracles. Uh, he's showing mercy. And kindness, he's extending forgiveness to, to the marginalized, to the foreigner, to the prostitute, the beggar, the adulterer, the drunkard. He, Jesus comes and he treated women as equal to men. All these things, everywhere he went, he confirmed his declaration. He confirmed his words through all these miracles, through the signs and wonders that he did. So, so again, in defining the kingdom, what is the kingdom of God? Well, I think it's really important to know that the kingdom of God is not a place. The kingdom of God is not a city. It's not Jerusalem. The kingdom of God is not a landmass. It's not even the nation of Israel. And defining the kingdom of God, don't think geography. Think authority. Think, think power. And in the vineyard, we describe the kingdom of God. I've already said it a couple of times, but we would describe it as what? As his rule and... Very good. Ten points for everyone. Who said it? But it's his rule and reign. And now, I don't know about you, but my, my ears are so used to those words that I'm like, well, what does that actually mean? Right? Uh, here's another quote that I find helpful. It says, the kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will. It is where what God wants done is done. I like that. That's, that's the kingdom of God. But if you're processing all this, at this point, you might go, well, uh, wait a minute. This is a little confusing if I'm, you know, if what you're saying is true. It's like, so what I'm hearing you say is that, okay, so Jesus came to earth declaring, demonstrating the kingdom of God, all these wonderful miracles. Uh, Really, he's come to earth and he's making everything right. Um, But wait a minute. But if, you know, if you're familiar with the story of the Bible, if you're familiar with the history of the world, if, you know, and if you haven't been living under a rock for the last couple of years, you know that things on planet earth are not right, are they? Like, really, it's, it's, it's actually quite a mess. So, so wait a minute, in defining the kingdom of God, what, what do we do with that? What do we do with, you know, what we see going on in our culture? Like, does, like what is our culture in the world? What does it say about the kingdom of God? Like, uh, did the kingdom of the enemy triumph over the kingdom of God? Well, that, you know, if we're honest, I think sometimes we would say, uh, you know, we might not say it that way, but when you look at your life, your family, the world, doesn't it look that way sometimes? Doesn't it look like, uh, like, are we really on the winning team? (laughs) 
Doesn't it feel like, doesn't it feel sometimes like, like, like who really won that fight? And that creates a tension inside, or at least it should. And so number two, the second point is this, uh, the tension of the kingdom of God. So Jesus came declaring, demonstrating the kingdom of God, which is God's effective will, uh, doing what, you know, God doing what he wanted done. But then when you look at the Bible, it's like, wait a minute, it seems like Jesus left a lot undone, didn't he? Like, I find that very challenging. Like, not everyone was healed. Like, even Lazarus, such, you know, John 11, such a cool story about Lazarus. You know, he was raised from the dead. But you know what? Lazarus died later on. You know, and one of the things that, especially when I look at what we've gone through the last couple of years, uh, something that's it's always just been crazy to me is, you know, Jesus comes to, you know, the kingdom of God is here. I've come to set you free. I've come to rescue you and all this stuff, you know, from the kingdom of the enemy. I've come to invite you back, you know, uh, uh, under God's rule and reign. And, and remember when Jesus came, he, he, he did all this. He said all this to a people who were, to a people who were living in their own land as uh, prisoners to their enemy, the conquering Romans. Like, that's weird to me. Because you know what? When you look at, at, the, at the teachings of Jesus, I don't think you could find one time in the Gospels where Jesus directly addresses the Roman occupation. Like he was asked questions about it. But I can't think of one time where he directly addressed it. And that makes me go, okay, wait a minute. You know, in, in this whole kingdom of God, this creates even more tension. Because I'm like, uh, it's almost like the Roman occupation was like a moot point to Jesus. It's almost like there was something way bigger at play than the political or territorial uh, issues. And so the tension of the kingdom of God is what we in the vineyard call, ready? The now and the, that's good. The now and the not yet. Listen to this quote. The kingdom of God for Jesus seemed both now and not yet in other words, the kingdom was something that was invading the earth through his ministry in the present, now. But then he would talk about the future kingdom, the not yet, when all wrongs would be made right and he would reign forever and ever. And again, when you look at this, you know, the, the work of Jesus in, in his ministry and, and the things he said and did, Jesus, he's inviting us into the kingdom of God. He's inviting us not only into it, but to participate with the kingdom of God. But at the same time, when his disciples say, hey, teach us how to pray like you pray. He says, yeah, here's how you pray. What do you pray? You pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done. And I'm like, wait a minute, Jesus. You seem to be, what's the deal here? Like, is the kingdom here now or is the kingdom coming? And to that, the Bible would answer, yes. The answer is yes. And that's, I mean, again, we're talking about the tension because I look at that and I go, yeah, I, I, I struggle with that. Because basically what he's saying is that, yes, the kingdom is here now. We get tastes of it, don't we? But it's not yet fully here. Like we, we have taste, but not yet the full meal. And so the tension is sometimes we experience the breaking in of the kingdom of God. And, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we pray for people and they're healed. And sometimes we pray for people and they get sicker. And sometimes we pray for people and they still die. And at some point, uh, if Jesus doesn't come back during our lifetime, we're all going to die. 
sometimes our prayers, you know, sometimes our prayers, they feel powerful. You, you, you're, you're just, you know, full of faith. And sometimes our prayers, it just seems like they just sort of, sort of fizzle into the air, seeming so ineffective. Uh, sometimes we hear God's voice clearly, and sometimes it's like, it's just tinnitus. If you have that, it's just, it's just quiet. There's nothing there. And, you know, I shared a couple of weeks ago that uh, when I went to the vineyard as a teenager, that, you know, I was invited into this, doing the, the stuff that Jesus did. Remember, everyone gets to play. That's one of our mottos in the vineyard. Everyone gets to do the stuff that Jesus did. And, and I, you know, I was thinking this week that uh, I would say in the last, well, all the years since I was a teenager, so at least 10 years, you laugh at that. Thank you. But, uh, but since my teen years, I bet I've prayed for easy hundreds of people. Easy. I bet I've given hundreds, maybe even thousands of words because I talk all the time. But, but I mean, I'm talking like pictures, feelings, like, you know, scriptures, pr- prophecies, like just stuff where I think God has spoken to me or showed me something that's for someone else. And this week, as I was sort of thinking through all those prayers and all those words, I, I sort of sat back and I thought, well, God, uh, you alone know my batting average, if you know what I mean, right? Uh, uh, and from my perspective, I don't know if I've ever hit a home run in all those years. Like, I think I've had a lot of singles, uh, maybe a couple doubles. I think I had a triple once that went off my head. But from my that's great. But from my perspective, these, uh, lots of strikeouts. So, like, so what do you do with that? What do you do with that tension? I mean, this whole thing of the now and the not yet, like, do you, with the whole baseball analogy, do you just stop playing? Would it be easier to just not pick up a bat and go up to the plate? Right? I think that would be less discouraging, maybe less dis- disappointing. And, you know, and in the church, we sometimes see two extreme uh, responses to the tension. And again, these are extremes. Like one of them would be this. It would be like what we call dispensationalism, which in a sim- simple definition would teach uh, God no longer does miracles and, and the Holy Spirit no longer hands out gifts. So it's sort of like we're not playing baseball anymore and there's no bats available anyways, Right? Okay, so then that's dispensationalism. And over here you have triumphalism, which basically triumphalism would be more like, uh, they tend more to, to, to tend to ignore the reality that suffering still continues in the world. And there's more, it takes more of a stance that the kingdom of God should always, it's always now. The kingdom of God should always be demonstrated with miracles. And we just need to pray it into being. And, and if it doesn't work, and again, this is, these are extremes, but if it doesn't work, well, there's a good chance it's probably the person's fault. Maybe you didn't have enough faith. Or maybe there was sin in, in, in your life, you know, unconfessed sin. But again, those, those are extremes. But in the vineyard, our goal is we're trying to find this, we're trying to embrace the tension. And we're trying, which basically means we're trying to stay in the middle of those extremes and embrace this tension to stay in the middle of the now and the not yet. And so, so what do we do? We keep on praying. We keep on praying, even, even when not everyone is healed, right? Because why do we do that? Well, there's lots of reasons, but, but because sometimes people do get healed. Sometimes people might not get fully healed, but they are significantly better. Like who here has ever been prayed for and been healed or has been significantly better? Just put your hand up. Okay, 
I'll take those numbers. Okay, that's awesome. Okay, uh, and so we keep on, we keep on praying. Uh, we keep on welcoming and inviting, praying for people to, you know, to say yes to Jesus, to come to church, whatever it is, even when it seems like there's like no, the fish are not biting because sometimes people do say yes. And who's, here's in, who's in church tonight or online because someone invited you? Oh, one, two. So for those online... Okay, we'll skip that one tomorrow. We keep, <laughs> no, that's good. We keep loving, helping, serving the poor, the marginalized, the struggling, the lost, the foreigner, regardless of results, because sometimes the kingdom of God breaks in and a life is changed and a marriage is healed or a family is, a family is, is restored. And, and we do all this, basically we do all this because it's what Jesus did. And we are his body here on earth. And we're here to continue the work that Jesus did. And, you know, uh, in this whole thing of the tension of the kingdom, have you ever, ever wondered this? Like, okay, well, wait a minute, Jesus. If you're saying we've got a taste now, but, you know, but then when you return second time, it's like it's going to come fully and it's going to be, you know, everything's going to be made right. Well, then, Jesus, can I just maybe make a suggestion? <laughs> like, why don't you return why are you waiting? Like, there's a lot of bad stuff going on, on here, on, here on planet Earth. And there's a, there's a passage in, in, in uh, 2 Peter where Peter is fielding some questions and he's answering questions regarding just the delayed return of Jesus. And he says this in 2 Peter 3. He says, hey, uh, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, when you look at that, what, 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 is, what is he saying there? Well, really what he's saying, uh, Peter's saying that, well, hey, well, just consider you guys, when, when the kingdom of God does fully return, part of the arrival of the kingdom of God will be judgment on people. And the heart of God is, the heart of God is, is he doesn't want anyone to not have a, an opportunity to say yes to him, to, to know him. And so he waits and he waits, giving everyone a chance. And that brings me to my final point, which is this, which is uh, living in the kingdom of God, living in the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The tension of the kingdom of God and then, and then living in it. Let me, let me restate uh, what I started off with tonight, the question, what does it mean to be a member of VCDC? It means to be a, a church, a gathering of Jesus followers who are increasingly more aware of and more engaged with the kingdom of God. See, uh, I hope this is helpful to you because I think this helps explain a lot of the struggle. Because right now as the church, as the body of Christ, we here on earth, we live in this time between times. Right? The now is here, but, but it's not, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're between the now and the not yet. And in a sense, you know, we live at the time, we live in this time of God's great patience, right? Where, where God is, is waiting, but he's actively waiting. And he's wanting every human being on planet earth to have an opportunity to say yes to him, you know, to be introduced to him. And he wants to do that through us, through his body. I mean, it's not the only way, but it's one of the primary ways. 
And to that, all of us, all our blood pressure should go up when we hear that. Okay, so, uh, 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 but, but that's overwhelming when you consider that task. And so how do we respond to that? Last weekend, Heather said this. This is another vineyard uh, saying it's, it's, we are, it's learning to be naturally supernatural. Naturally supernatural. That's a very freeing and encouraging little, little saying. And what it means is this. It's, it's for you and I, as we're, you know, as we're living in the kingdom and we're called into continue the work of Jesus, it's, it's you and I remembering that though we are everyday people, um, we, just, we are everyday people who just happen to belong to, to be filled with, and to be led by the amazing, I can do anything, God. And that makes a big difference. So how do we live in the kingdom of God? Well, I believe it starts at this place. And let me go back to the Mark 1. Remember when Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near, but how does he end it off? What should our response to, his, to the arrival of the kingdom of God be? He says this, repent and believe the good news. And my bet is looking out, because I know most of the people in this room, if you were raised in the church, when you hear the word repent, where you typically go is, oh, that's right, I'm a bad person. I should probably, there's got to be something in there. Uh, you know, there's got to be something I need to repent of. But, and, and there's truth in that. It does address our behavior. But that word repent, it also means, it's also talking about the way we think. And the word repent is a challenge like, hey, you've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten whose you are. You've forgotten why you're here. So really what it's saying is repent, turn around, change your way of thinking, and then believe. And in the Bible, belief, whenever it talks about belief, it's way more than just some mental, like, oh, that sounds good. No, 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 it can't just be some mental assent. Belief in the Bible is that belief needs to impact your life. It needs to be put into action. Like, like you now need to live your life according to that good news. See, there's a turning away from our little kingdoms. There's a turning away from the kingdom of the enemy. And it's a willful choice to daily come under the rule and reign of God. That's living in the kingdom of God. And, you know, there's a, there's a brief a little story in the book, the Old Testament book of uh, Joshua. And in the story, there are, as far as Joshua understands, there are two, uh, there are two kingdoms at war, the Israelites and their enemies, the, the, the people of Jericho. And the Israelite army, you know, it's, it's uh, camped this, across the field from Jericho, and I'm sure they're planning, strategizing the Israelites, how they're going to attack the city. And then one day Joshua looks across the field, and he sees a, a soldier standing out there. And it says this in, in Joshua 5.13, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And you know, I would say most biblical scholars would say Joshua wasn't bowing down in front of some angel, but he was actually bowing down in front of Jesus. And, and so what Jesus was teaching Joshua then and what he's teaching us today, there's two, two quick things. First one is this. The kingdom of God isn't here to take anyone's side. Jesus is the king of all kings and his invitation to all is, will you forsake 
every other kingdom and join me? Will you first seek first the kingdom of God? So how do you live, you know, in the kingdom of God? Well, first, it's a question of allegiance because the kingdom of God is greater than all other kingdoms combined. The kingdom of God is the only eternal kingdom. It's always been pre-Genesis. It'll always be post-Revelation. And, you know, and it's not about sides. The kingdom of God is not about earthly kingdoms. It's not about who's in the White House. The kingdom of God is about your heart, and it's about my heart. And it's about, will we submit today to the rule and the reign of God? So that's one thing we can learn. The second thing is this. The Joshua story also teaches that the kingdom of God is hard for us to see. Like it's, it's with our earthly eyes, we don't naturally see it. We need help. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, if that's what it means to follow Jesus, that's crazy. Because basically what that teaches us is that, hey, what we think is so real and so important and so necessary, according to God, is temporary. Right? Uh, but the part that we struggle to see, the kingdom of God, like that part, that's eternal. And that reminds me of a, of a movie I saw in the late 90s that I think captures this, this scripture so well. And that movie, as you can throw the picture up, that's The Matrix, right? Great movie, don't recommend it, but it was a great movie. Uh, and it's, it's about humanity being unaware that they have been uh, taken over by aliens and that the world they live in is, a, is false. And that in the real world, there's, this, there's a battle raging by a group of resistors fighting, fighting for humanity. In the, in the story of the hero, he doesn't know he's the hero yet, the guy Neil, uh, uh, he gets invited by the leader of the resistance, Morpheus, to see beyond the alien-induced facade. And in trying to explain the matrix, he says this to Neil. He says, the matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now in this very room, what you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. A kingdom church is a gathering of people who are increasingly more aware of and more engaged with the kingdom of God. Uh, why don't we have the worship team come on back? I'm going to end with this one more quote here. Uh, that as we start to tune in more to the reality of the kingdom of God, the next step is to engage with it. It's to follow the example of Jesus. Listen to this quote. In the vineyard, we believe that Christians are commissioned and empowered by the Spirit of God to do the works of his kingdom. With Jesus, we are empowered by the Spirit to bring the presence of God's future to our streets, our neighborhoods, our towns and cities, to anyone and everyone he sends us to. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.